So as we've been looking at this passage in chapter 10, and even before in chapter 9, I have been struck by repentance. We see that this community is one that is in the throes of repentance. And we have discussed that this repentance is a gift from God. We know that this gift flows from the work of God's holy word. We know that this gift flows from the gift of, of from the work of his Holy Spirit. We know that as we pray and pray and pray and ask the Spirit to lead us into all truths, that we are led into repentance as conviction comes upon us as we read through God's Word. We see in this passage that there are a number of ways that this has come to this group of people. Ezra has brought the word to the people. He has brought it to the magistrates. He is a man of prayer. We see that he himself is struck with repentance, that he is weeping over the sins of his people. We see also that the various leaders and the people in this community are also brought to repentance, and to tears. We see in our passage today, uh, in verse 5, we see that the leaders have come around Ezra in agreement. We have the chief priest, the Levites, and all Israel. They have agreed to what has been set before them. That repentance indeed is in order and that as evidence of that repentance that they must turn from their sins. What has been recommended is a hard thing. They've been asked to put away wives. And as we've looked at some of this, regardless of whether these are true, legitimate wives or true, legitimate marriages, this is a hard thing. These people have been living together. They have shared their lives together. Some of them even have children. We see that in the passage. in their faithfulness and submission to the word of God, they have been asked to sacrifice. They have been asked to forsake their sin. But as we look at this passage, one of the things that I think is most foreign to us is most foreign to our culture, and maybe it was foreign to their culture as well, 
But not only does it appear that there is complete submission to God's word and spirit in this situation, but there seems to be submission to the authorities that the Lord has placed over them. It appears to us that all the children of captivity were in submission to or under the authority of God's word and his ministers. And that this submission to those authorities has also contributed to the repentance that is going on in this community. What we don't see in this situation, what we largely see in maybe ourselves, but in our own time, is that prideful spirit standing with your chin out saying, you're not the boss of me. As we see here in verse 5, we have the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel. Now this looks like to me that you have all of those ministers that I've mentioned here in this group. The chief priest, we obviously have the word priest here, we know what those are. Chief here is an interesting word because it can be translated as prince, which it actually is translated as princes down in verse 8. And we have the Levites, we know who they are. And then it says all of Israel. But also in that verse, uh, in verse 8, where it says princes, it's kind of summing up those who are above. It says the princes and the elders. So it appears to me that we have represented here, we have priests and Levites, we may very well have civil magistrates, and we have at least elders from the families. They have agreed with what has been proposed. That they are going to call the families together and they are going to separate out the wives and those children from the Israelites, from those who have returned from captivity. This is exactly the kind of authority that Ezra was given back in Ezra chapter 7, where God's word and an earthly king come together to give him the authority I'll just read it. It says, Ezra chapter 7, starting at verse 25. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set magistrates and judges, which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach ye them that know them not. And whosoever will not do the law of God, and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be unto death, to banishment, or to confiscation of goods, 
or to imprisonment. That's pretty serious. Ezra has a lot of power and authority here. He is teaching the law of God to those who know it, to those who don't know it, and he is teaching it to the magistrates, and he has the authority from the earthly king and from the king of kings that those who disobey will suffer the punishments. And we know that this group of people, they have forsaken the Lord's commandments. They have defiled themselves with the abominations of the land. Leviticus 18, 24 through 30 is a good description of what's going on there. Deuteronomy 12, 31. They have taken the people of the land's daughters for their sons. We see God's word speak to this in Exodus 34, 16 and Deuteronomy 7, 3. And it has been called upon the people that the way to repent and the way to turn from the sins are to put away these wives. There are any number of opinions on what exactly is going on here. I've mentioned some of my thoughts on this. I lean towards the fact that these are not legitimate wives, that they are just living together, that they are not um, covenanted marriages. You can find that in many of the commentaries. You can find many other opinions as well. Either way, we know that in Deuteronomy 24, the people of Israel are told that if a wife, if there be found some uncleanness in the wife, that the wife can be divorced. This uncleanness is an interesting word. It can mean nakedness. It can mean adultery, it can mean unclean, um, so it's, it's pretty broad. So regardless of if we have legitimate marriages or non-legitimate marriages, the passage actually tells us that according to God's word, these men are going to divorce their wives. And I think as we as we approach this, I think some of what I'm going to talk about later actually begins to show up. I think some of us begin to bristle a little bit at the idea of putting away these wives and putting away these children. We begin to scratch our head and think, this is a little unfair. This doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem just. And yet as we confess that we submit ourselves to the word of the Lord, the passage clearly tells us that they are operating under God's commands and under his word. Ezra 
Ezra here, I love his example that as he's mourning the sins of his people, he recommends a course of action. It is echoed by another in their community, and then he gets the leaders of the community to agree to this course of action, and he lets them go to work. And he knows that this is going to be a tough job. And so what does he do? He finds a nice, quiet corner in the house of God, and he prays, and he fasts. He goes before the Lord, seeking his favor in what they are about to do. And we see in verse 7 that a proclamation is made throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. Now this is a proclamation that goes out. I want you to think of a herald. Um, Men are sent from this council. They are sent out into the surrounding areas. And the people of Israel are told, you are to assemble yourselves in Jerusalem. And this is going to take place in three days. This is according to the counsel of the princes and of the elders. And then we see in verse 8 that for those who disobey, that there are some severe punishments here for not submitting to the Lord's word in this matter or those ministers that have been appointed over them. If they don't make it, all of their substance is going to be forfeited. It is going to be confiscated. That's a pretty high penalty. And we see that the person himself is going to be separated from the congregation. And we're going to talk about a little of this later, like I said, but I want to be clear here that this idea of forfeiting the substance, this is in line with the actual sin that they've committed. This language here, we see all through Joshua, we see it in Deuteronomy, where it talks about um, their goods might be destroyed, um, the accursed thing. Uh, In Joshua, when it's talking about um, taking Jericho, says the city will be accursed even it and all that therein is, it's destroyed, it's, it's dedicated to the Lord, except for Rahab the harlot, which we talked about last week. So it says that they're going to take all the goods in the city um, for the Lord. This is the type of penalty that is going to be enacted upon the children of Israel. So I want to deal here briefly with being separated from the congregation. In Leviticus 7.21 it says, Moreover, the soul that shall touch any unclean thing, as the uncleanness of man 
or any unclean beast or any abominable unclean thing and eat of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering which pertaineth unto the Lord, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. This is heavy, heavy language. Um, this tends to make us uncomfortable. We don't like the idea of having to put people out of the community. It's not a pleasant thing. It's a stressful thing. And yet as we submit ourselves to the word of God, there are a number of places in the word that tells us to do just that. And that we as God's people have a responsibility to maintain the purity of the bride of Christ. Now this is not something that we enter into lightly. But I want to look at it actually from the other side that as those of us who have submitted ourselves to God's word and to those other authorities, which we're going to get to here in a minute, we need to see these as being for our good. Our membership or our partaking of this community, there are a lot of benefits, right? We get to sit under the word of God being preached, If you're sitting there listening to the word of God while you are continuing hard-heartedly in your sin, you are resisting the word of the Lord. You are resisting the authorities that the Lord has placed over you, and you can be in danger of being put out, which means you will be cut off from the reading and the preaching and the hearing of the word. You could be cut off from the partaking of the sacraments. That communication that the Lord is giving to you that flows through this service and communicates to you the benefits of redemption. You could be cut off from the community and that help that you've come to expect in times of distress may not be there. We even see those situations where you could forfeit your right as a citizen of both heaven and of your earthly country. So what I want to focus on here today is this is this is a teaching that was very instrumental for me. I know for a lot of the folks here in this room, it was instrumental maybe way back in the early days where we talked about the three spheres of government or the doctrine of sphere sovereignty. Now as we approach this topic I want to remind you that we are people that even today in the baptism we heard this kind of language. We have made vows to the Lord and we have made vows to one another that we are under the authority of God's word and that we are submitting to one another. We are even counting on one another to help us in our walk.
as we submit to God's word, we have to submit to all that it tells us. It has, we have to submit to all that it lays out before us, right? So the first thing I want to talk about is not typically taught when we're teaching the three spheres of government or the doctrine of sphere sovereignty. But I want to get this across. This is a really important concept, all right? Because first and foremost, we are brothers and sisters, regardless of age or position or status or anything like that, right? We are brothers and sisters. And Ephesians 5.21 very clearly tells us that we are to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The Greek word here for submitting yourselves, we see it all over the New Testament. It means to be subject to, to place oneself in submission, to place under in an orderly fashion. This is what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to submit to one another and encourage one another in our walk of faith. Amen? 1 Peter 5 says it like this. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves, there's our word again, unto the elders. Elder, singular. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility. You can't place yourself in submission to anyone else if you are not clothed in humility. For it says, God resists the proud, but that he gives grace to the humble. I love this part. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In your humbleness, as you submit to others, you trust the Lord with the cares that you have, and the promise is that he will care for you. He will use means and he will use people and he will use some of the craziest circumstances you can ever imagine. But his promise is that if you humble yourself, he will care for you. Now classically, these three governments that we find in scripture are family, I don't have them listed, family, church, and state, all right? And I will try to rumble through these fairly quickly. So the family, this one's pretty obvious. Exodus 20, 12 says, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land that the Lord thy God gives you, all right? So honor um, means like heavy. It means weighted down um, to get honor. But it says, the hands of both Humans and God were described metaphorically as heavy, that is, powerful. 
And we actually saw this earlier in the passage from Ezra chapter 7, where it says, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand. He has this weight. He has this heaviness. He has this power in his hands. It is a position of authority. In Ephesians 6, this is the classic passage on the family, right? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Most people stop there. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants slaves, of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond, slave, or free. And ye masters, do the same thing unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So you have, you have two different things here. It says, children, obey your parents. Slaves, submit to your masters. Fathers specifically, but parents, don't provoke your children to wrath. Masters, same thing. No threatening, right? Now, we tend to look at this passage with our modern glasses on. Like I said, our culture really doesn't like this concept. If I can say it this way, the word obey has become a four-letter word, right? It is bad. They take it out of the wedding vows. I mean, there's just nobody's obeying. We don't even understand what it means, right? But before we get there, we even have to understand what this idea of children is. You know, we get, we get our feelings hurt when, you know, I'm 50-some years old. 55 this year? 55? I don't know. I'm 50-something. But, I, you know, I can get my feelings hurt when somebody quotes this verse at me and says, children are supposed to obey their parents. And I'm like, I'm 55 years old. You're calling me a child? Well, yes. See, because the word children here, the word child, in English, just like in Greek, it's bigger than just being a descendant. Now, that's an important concept here, is that you are somebody's descendant. Believe it or not, you have parents. This is science, right? If you're here, you have parents. 
But there's also an idea here that it is somebody who loves you like a parent would. Somebody who has taken you in and loves you like a son or a daughter. Or somebody has taken you in and you see them as a parent. We talk about this often when somebody is, you know, that man is like a father in the faith to me. I mean, we use this kind of family language when we're talking about this. So whether you're an actual descendant or you have a legal adoption or not, you can be a child to someone. It's not an insult. It should be an honor when we consider what it is that parents generally do for their children. Amen? All right. Now, let's get to the other word that people that really, they really don't like this one, all right? It, it's the word obey, or later in the passage, obedient. Servants be obedient, okay? Whew. You want to you wanna stir up trouble? Tell somebody that they're supposed to obey or be obedient to anybody. Pick somebody, right? And you've automatically got a fight on your hands. So, we need to talk about this word a little bit. It primarily means to hear. That doesn't just mean the physical process of the sound waves basic, bouncing off your eardrums. It means to hear, to hearken, to respond accordingly. It means to obey. It means to yield to a superior, to believe them, to obey them, to place yourself underneath them, to assume a subordinate position. Whew. You know I'm right on this, right? You want to see people get their dander up? Tell them they have to obey. Tell them they have to follow the rules. Now we see most of this repeated to us again in Colossians chapter 3. Paul basically goes through the same ideas. This is a tricky one, right? Because as our sons and daughters get older, we need to grant them the liberty and the honor, going back the other way, of letting them be their own household, okay? So that honor is running both ways. But it's really interesting from a biblical perspective, if you really want to zero in on what it looks like for children to obey their parents, some of you know where I'm going now, Go back to Jeremiah chapter 35 and read about the Rechabites. I'm not going to read through the passage because it's long. But I marvel at the daughter-in-laws that are involved in this story who live with a man who say, 
your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-great-grandfather some hundreds of years ago said we couldn't live in a house? You're killing me. You think you're taking this honor thing a little too far? And yet the prophet Jeremiah holds it up and says this is what covenantal faithfulness looks like. And if you go back and you look at what their grandfather told them, they're not biblical commands. They wouldn't have been in sin against the Lord for living in a house. But they were honoring their father. They were believing the promise that it would go well with them. And they were held up as the example of covenantal faithfulness. This is what it looked like generations down. Now there's another authority that is in these two passages, both in Ephesians and Colossians. And this one, this one is also tricky as well. Um, we sort of have this jurisdiction or this government in our culture, and yet it's been kind of moved off a of center a little bit because of the state's involvement. And that's one that is listed here in the passage as master and slave. We might consider it employer and employee. And again, you want to you stir up a fight in a, in a corporate situation, in a business situation, Start equating employer and employee with master and slave. Whew. Who are you calling a slave? Well, <laughs> are you free? Um, on the biblical definitions, right? And there's nothing inherently wrong with being a slave, okay? The Bible teaches us we are going to be a slave, all right? Even the, pass even the, the language in the passage that I read talks about being uh, a bond Bond or free, that's, that's slave. Or being a servant, that's, that's a slave. Now, there's, there's probably a whole sermon around what that means, right? But we need to understand that the, the Scriptures command us to be in submission to our master. You know that boss that drives you crazy? And makes you mad? And you want to come home and grumble about him for three or four hours? Do you remember when you went to him looking for a job? Because you weren't able to take care of yourself at that point? And the word of God says, you are to serve him like you are serving the Lord. Also not real popular. But I put the master and slave relationship, the employer, the employee relationship, the only place I can find to put it in a scriptural authority is under the family. And I think I get some backing here from Paul in Ephesians and Colossians because he tends to tie them together in this passage. And it's not, it's not a hill to die on, but that's, that's where I place it. It, it goes in the, in the family jurisdiction. 
All right, the next one is church. As I said earlier during the baptism, we, you know, we acknowledge this at baptism. We acknowledge this in membership vows that we have willingly put ourselves under the authority of God's word. We make a vow in public. And then we say that around that, sort of a fence around that, that we submit ourselves to the Westminster Confession of Faith and its catechisms. Right? We said that today. As we do that, we find ourselves under the authority of, I'm sorry, but some, some humans that have been put in positions of leadership in the church, all right? Elders and deacons. I can tell you that to a man, <laughs> in the elders and deacons, we are just men. And I appreciate the humbleness of the men who serve on our consistory and the fear and trembling that comes upon us whenever we approach any kind of decision that is going to affect people's lives. You know which decisions affect people's lives? Nearly all of them. So Hebrews 13, 17 is a classic um, verse to go to on this one. It says, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they, which, as they which must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. So obey here is to persuade, to move, to affect by, I like how it says it here, to affect by kind words or motives. Or to be affected. By kind words. This is, this is a mutual situation. Where we are to submit to one another. That element is there. This is not elders and deacons commanding and pounding on pulpits that you must do this. But the language here suggests more as as you have submitted yourselves in these situations, that you follow along after. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And thankfully, for those of us who are elders and deacons, we have other elders and deacons that we submit to that we have to do the same thing. We have to submit to their authority. We'll get to that in a little bit. Oh, I'm going long on time here. All right, so then we have the state. Um, 1 Peter 2, 13, submit yourselves, there's that word again, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors or unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers for the praise of them that do well. So submitting yourself is the same one that we had earlier. Um, means to place yourself in submission. Uh, Romans 13 speaks to this. Titus 3 speaks to this. So, 
This one's really hard in our day, okay? Because our magistrates are so far outside of their biblical bounds that it's hard for us to know where we submit, okay? I'm going to confess that right up front. Deacon Riken was praying about it earlier today. This one is tricky. But just like with the other two jurisdictions, I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit, these, these authorities, these governments, they can become tyrannical. They can overextend. They can impose rules and sanctions beyond what the scriptures allow. And in those circumstances, there are checks and balances between those jurisdictions where you can appeal for relief from the tyrant. This is probably like a series of sermons that we're, we're not going to get it all out here. So let's talk about the fourth sphere of government within the three spheres of government. Some guys split them into three, some guys split them into four. I think the three are made up of the fourth one. Uh, the, so anyway, I don't want to get too confusing here. And that's the individual, right? So there is individual government. You are called by the scriptures to have self-control. You are to be self-governed under God's word and under his spirit. Plead with him to change you so that you will stop being a rebel and that you will submit willingly. Anyone have a challenge with that one? One of the things I see in our culture, and again, I'm sure it's not just our culture. I'm sure it's been every culture. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, right? This is the one that we tend to rely on the most. This is the one that tends to guide us the quickest. We can... Eliminate passages from Scripture. We can do a pretty good job of saying why those aren't relevant anymore or why they don't apply. When we get challenged by one of the other forms of government, whether it's family, church, or state, we can be really quick to start formulating arguments on why we don't have to obey that or why we even have to consider what they're saying. Because like our father and our mother, Adam and Eve, we really want to be God. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. You are one of the worst tyrants that will ever be in your life. Scripture tells us, you guys all know this passage, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's saying that your heart and my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and that we don't even know the extent or the depth of that wickedness. And yet this is the one that we rely on, isn't it? Now it's interesting Because last week we talked about there being hope in Israel. 
right? And we talked about that hope being a person, that that hope was Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are all most miserable, right? It's our only hope. These forms of government can go wrong. They can lead us astray. I mean, seriously, think about it. The, the princes, the elders, the chief priests were said to be chief in the trespass of taking foreign wives. So their own individual conscience let them down. And the other forms of government around them that are supposed to be there to reinforce their walk let them down. That doesn't mean we give up on them. We just have to understand there are limitations because all of those governments are populated with people. If we don't tag back to the Word of God every time, every time, every time, we will find ourselves in trouble. And I love that this passage, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it, is the very passage we read last week about Jesus being our only hope. Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. This is when your hope and your trust is in the Lord. You are planted by, like a tree planted by the waters, and that spreads out her roots by the river, and shall not see the heat coming, and her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So, when you are submitted to the Lord, when you are trusting the Lord, when you have placed all of your hope in the Lord, this is what life looks like. A tree by the riverbanks with the roots deep. Floodwaters come, the tree stands. The drought comes, the tree flourishes, remains fruitful. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. This community that we're reading about, they're human. They're made of dust. The Lord knows their frame. But what we see is the Lord moving in a mighty way in this community. They have submitted to the word of God. They have submitted to the rulers who are over them. They have submitted to those authority and they have seen their sins and they have repented. They are on their face weeping before the Lord. But it's not just a manly sorrow. It's true repentance. 
because they're willing to go through whatever it takes to right the wrong. God's Word tells them that they have to put these wives and children away. They have to separate from them. Hearts are going to be broken. There's going to be tears. And yet it's the right thing to do. We see the Lord working through His people and through the authorities that He has established with these folks relying solely on the Lord and His Word. Brothers and sisters, that's the kind of community we want to be. We want to be a community that submits to one another. That when a brother comes up and says something to you and says, Brother, can we talk about this thing? That our immediate response isn't our brain whirling trying to figure out how to defend that thing that he's telling us about. We have to consider his word. because We vowed to do that. We have vowed to be a community. We have made a promise to each other that we will do that. We just told Bob and Catherine that we would help them raise that little boy. Did we mean it? There are all kinds of resources out there for what this submission to authorities look like. As we're going through the confession on our midweek study, I can't help but point out that in the shorter catechism, and especially in the larger catechism, boy, you want to take a trip to the woodshed? I know it's the larger catechism, right? And it's, it's large. But section or questions 123 through 133 that deals with the fifth commandment. If you want to understand what your walk looks like as a servant, as somebody who is in submission to their authorities, read through that section and the corresponding proof text. If you want to see what your leadership looks like, if there are littles following along behind or maybe you have a wife or maybe you have some kind of position of authority on the job, read through this section and see what your leadership looks like. I'll bring the Kleenexes. It's going to be tough. We are going long here, so my apologies if you felt like you were getting machine gunned today. I was trying to get through some of this material. I feel like I didn't get through all of it. What do I want ultimately? What do I want to see happen here? I want us each individually to consider, to think about our heart and how it's in submission to the Word of God. I want us to consider our heart and how we are submitting to one another how we are submitting to those authorities that God has placed over our life. How are we submitting to God's word? 
How are we submitting and honoring our family? How are we submitting to the civil magistrates? How are we submitting to our church community? That's the question. I see the Lord working in this community in Ezra chapter 10, and my desire, my heart's desire here is to see this kind of mutual submission to God's word and to each other in our own community. Can I get an amen? <laughs> All right. That was pretty quiet. Too much information? All right, one more time. <laughs> Is this what we want to see in our community? Or do we, thank you, or do, or do we just want to show up here on Sunday with happy shining faces and go home and not really interact with anybody? I think I've said it before from the pulpit. I don't, I'm not really interested in being a part of that kind of a church. There are plenty of those churches. We can go almost anywhere and be nobody. But the way we understand covenant, the way we understand church and family and church family and how we as God's people are supposed to interact with one another, I think we all admit that's not what the word of God says. It says that we're supposed to be in each other's lives daily. For that, can I get an amen? <laughs> all right, it's getting late. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. It is challenging. It is sometimes hard to understand. But Lord, we pray that it's not hard to understand because our hearts are not willing. We pray that your spirit will come and move in our midst. That we will be softened to your word. That we will submit quickly and fully to your word that as we see it is good for us that we will thank you and praise you even or maybe especially when it convicts us of our sins so I pray that you will make us a community that you will fashion us together as a family of families one that loves each other and one that is submitting to one another in love in the Lord. We pray that your word and your spirit will be active among us and will make it so. In Jesus' name.